This is the Silver City Church Podcast. Our prayer is you are edified by this content and that it refines your life in Christ. Visit us at silvercityky.com. From there, you can connect with us on social media, view our location and service time, and download our mobile app to stay all the more connected with us. If this content has been beneficial to you, please share it and give this show a high rating so more may hear the gospel of Christ. May you see God's will be done and kingdom come in your life. Amen. Well, this morning we're going to be continuing on in our exploration in 1 John. Guys, we're almost done. Can you believe we've been in 1 John already for almost, almost five months now? We plan, or I plan to be done with it in May, and then we're going to do uh, some fun stuff in the Old Testament, which I'll leave up my sleeve for a later date. So this morning, as you turn in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 4, 1 John chapter 4 will be in verse, starting in verse 12. Let me give you a little back story illustration to help you think about what we're doing today in our text. In the late 1800s, there's a Russian inventor who has a, long, a last name this long that I can't pronounce with a lot of Ys and Vs in it. Uh, he became iconic for one thing, making the Russian net or nesting doll. You've probably seen them. You might even own one. How many of you have a Russian net doll or have played with one or, or own one, right? Uh, we have one at my mom's house. What's her name? Big Mama. Big Mama, not Martin Lawrence, Big Mama's house, but it's Big Mama, the Russian net nesting doll. It's like a bowling pin-shaped doll, can, a canister painted with something on it, and then you pop the top off of it, and there's something inside of that one. Look, looks just the same, or it might be something else. You've maybe seen them that are animals, and then you pop one open, there's another animal, and you keep doing that all the way down till you get to the size of one. Some are the size of a bean. They all go together, and the little ones fit inside the bigger one. Right? It's fascinating. It's pretty interesting to look at. Today, why am I saying this? Well, because I want to present you with John's theological nesting doll. And in doing so, I want you to remember this. The nesting doll is incomplete without all the other smaller and big ones that go together. Right? 1 John chapter 4 will be in verses 12 through 5, 5, chapter 5, 5 this morning. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. Anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. This commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. 
And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Thus says the living word of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is not burdensome, but is a lamp shining in the darkness to give light to our eyes. And so would you do that for every single person here this morning? Would it be clear? Would it be precise? Would it go deep down within us like the implanted word it is and give us fruit bearing with repentance, Father? God, I ask that you would get me out of the way and that the text would come to life, the text given by the Holy Spirit, that you would change stones, uh, hearts of stones into hearts of flesh. And may you be glorified in all things. And all of God's people said, amen. All right. Yes, I know that I already talked about 1 John 4.12 last week, but it all goes together. All right. 1 John 4.12, it ended last week with John telling us that if we love one another, this is evidence that God dwells in us. How? Through his spirit. And in so doing, this Godly love of self-sacrifice unto others reaches its end game. Remember that word perfected is telos. We get the word telos, like the end game, the, the designed purpose. In our text last week, John pounded home, like just over and over the summit of this entire epistle, the love of God in the self-sacrificing expression of the cross, which changes us, should, because the entire triune Godhead is self-sacrificing. When we love in a biblical way, we who are God's children are on our way back to Eden, man reflecting his creator in fellowship with his creator. In our text this morning, John takes the concepts in verses 12 of chapter 4, the indwelling of the Spirit of God and perfect love and Russianette dolls them. He unpacks them for us. He fleshes them out. In many ways, the text before us is part of a, a, a two-part series, I guess you could say, on God is love or the love of God that we examined last week on the glorious Resurrection Sunday. And so for sake of keeping it fresh, I want to add another question to our, our inventory of self-examinating questions that we have in 1 John. So here it is this morning. What does being loved by God do to me and with me? What John's presenting us in behind the text, you could say. What does being loved by God do to me and with me? We can talk about God being love and our call to reflect that love. We can talk about that all day. That's what we talked about last week. That's what we examined in the text last week. But the love of God set upon his beloved, his children, does something to them. And not just to them, with them as well as for them. 1 John 4.13 By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. You lack in confidence? You gotta love 1 John. How many times has he said this little phrase over and over? By this we know, we know, we know, we know. This is how we know. 
that we abide in him, live in him, have fellowship, restoration with God, he abides in us as he has given us of his spirit. Here's the big neon sign out on the outskirts of town, right? Here's how you know that God abides in you. This is how you know you have fellowship with God, right here. John restates what he has said at the, said at the beginning of chapter 4, right? God gives us his Holy Spirit. God gives us, in essence, a part of the Trinity. He gives us his Spirit. If we love one another as God has loved us, verse 12, and this results as displaying God living in us, then we're right back to where chapter 4 began. Church, remember this. When the Bible repeats itself, it is not because God is like Dory on Finding Nemo with a really bad short-term memory. No, no, that's us. We are so often ignorant, stupid little children who hear the same things over and over and over, and yet we still continue to touch the hot stove, don't we? It's for our benefit when the Bible repeats itself. You know this, emphatic, emphatic. You know this, that you are in fellowship with God, which is him pouring himself out into you and you pouring yourself back into him in praise, both self-sacrificing because he has given you his spirit. It's this, this cycle. And it's a beautiful cycle that we can't get off of. You know, the indwelling of the Spirit of God and the child of God and the believer and the Christian should never stop amazing us. It should never stop bringing us to awe and wonder. And it's not just John who wrote about this. The, the Apostle Paul wrote about this in Romans eleven thirty six. Listen to this. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Do you realize, dear Christian, your life, your salvation, your love even that you have, they're from God. And that your life, your salvation, your love is through him. And that your life, your salvation, your love is to him. Can't get around the fact that God is in every single aspect in control. Do you realize, dear beloved, how weak you are, how helpless you are, that you cannot muster your own salvation, you cannot give yourself life, you cannot give yourself love. You're not just weak and helpless, you're dead in your sins. We are dead in our sins if left to our own. All the child of God is, all that the child of God is able to do, all that the child of God is becoming is not from themselves, but from God. Amen, hallelujah, that we can do nothing of our own accord. We're simply following the example of our big brother, Jesus, who did not do anything of his own accord, but the will of his Father. All that we are is from him and through him and to him. How glorious is this? It must never lose its luster. And you know, we always talk about salvation as this great gift. And it is the greatest gift. But Christ ascended on high that he may give many gifts. Think of it like this is your terrible message translation version. Christ ascended on high that he may give the gift of, of theological nesting dolls. Right inside of salvation, the gifts, plural, 
grace and salvation, there's all these other things that come out. Bearing fruit and keeping with repentance, peace, love, joy, self-control, all of these things come out of this. Everything, all that we are, all that we are becoming are from God, through God, and to God. Glorious God. Amen. John goes on unpacking this in verse 14 of chapter 4, saying, And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. This is an interesting passage when coupled, coupled with the previous. In short, John is stating this, The perfecting love of God that abides in us through the Holy Spirit, we, meaning the apostles, testify and have seen with our own eyes that the Father has displayed this love by sending the Son to be the Savior of the world. My goodness, we could camp out here for a whole sermon, right? Again, we see the blessed Trinity, three distinct persons of one essence, not three gods, not three parts, like three-thirds making one God, but one God and three persons. I know that's hard to understand, so let me help you understand it. Can't, okay? That's so transcendent. And who he is, that he can be Father, Son, and Spirit, that, that that's one person. We, we cannot wrap our minds around this, but what we can wrap our minds around in the text that we have before us is this, that the Father, the Son, the Spirit, they are love. God is love. The Father is love. The Son is love. The Spirit is love. It's not just the Father loves and then the Son is hate and then the Spirit is... No, God is love. All of God is love. This verse is also peculiar in the fact that it again bolsters the child of God being led by the Spirit on the one hand and the witness of the apostles and the prophets on the other hand, which is what the scriptures, right? The indwelling of the Spirit of God in the believer must be supplemented with the Word of God Why? Because the Word of God is the testimony of the Spirit. It is breathed out by God. The Word of God must be supplemented by the Spirit because, same logic, the Spirit has given us the Word of God. What God has joined together, let no man separate. And that is even true of His Holy Word. It does us no good to say that we have been born again, born of the Spirit, and not have His words abiding in us. It would be claiming to be of a certain family, but knowing nothing about that family, not even looking like them. It equally does us no good to have the Word of God without the Spirit. That's what verse 15 talks about. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, he and God. Again, this isn't the only indicator. This isn't the only indicator of who are the children of God. It's a generalized statement like the one we looked at at the beginning of verse of chapter 4. But if we confess Jesus as the Son of God, the Savior, then that is a further uh, indicative that we, may, that we are in God and that He is in us, which gives us the logic excuse me, of, the verse, of this verse in the whole context of the chapter. And what's the logic of this verse in the whole context of the chapter? Jesus... As the Son of God, the Savior, sacrificed Himself to reconcile us back to God. Jesus then is love, which means, sorry Arians, Jesus is God. 
cross, all of this beautiful love that we looked at last week, the self-sacrificing, it's not just a man dying. It's, it shows us God and it brings us back to him. There's no way around what John is presenting us, deep, rich, unfathomable, Trinitarian theology, and may we stand on the banks of the river crying out to the enemy, the glory of pottery, because of this verse right here. You see, John restates and summarizes his fleshing out of the indwelling of the Spirit of God in his people in verse 16. He's just starting to restate some things and summarize things. He says, so we have come to know and to believe, right? We're sure of this. We've come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. Again, boom, right from the the opening verses of chapter four. God is love and whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. That's a tongue twister almost. Remember John's favorite word is abide. Abide, 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 abide. To have fellowship to be reconciled to one another, right? John says this, know this and believe it. Don't just know it, believe it. God loves his children for God is love and whoever loves in this same self-sacrificing way that God has loved him is in fellowship with God. Know this and believe it. So with the summary here, examine yourself. Take a moment to do some introspection and not in a morbid way. Do you know this? God's love set upon his people, even when they were dead in their trespasses and sins, loving them, raising them unto new life to return to him. Do you know this? Pray that you do. Now, believe this. Believe that. Meaning, do you know this? to be true, live your life in accordance with it. It's one thing to know something, and it's another to believe it. Do you feel unworthy? Oh, child of God, you should. Do you feel overwhelmed? Believer, you should. Do you feel in awe? My goodness, you should. Do you know you are just that, though? The beloved, dear ones, You must, and it must change every part of you. It changes you, and if it changes you, and changes your neighbor by how you live, then then guess what happens? Little bit at a time, the world is changed. That's the goal. That's the telos. That's the perfecting purpose. That's what John wants you to not forget. That's what he starts unpacking in the rest of our text this morning. Verses 16 through 18, John says this. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. All right, here's his kind of thesis statement, and then he goes like this. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Knowing and believing this great truth of God's love is the perfecting, sanctifying, reconciling, back to Eden, in-game goal in the child of God. And his goals, his plans will not be thwarted. Right? John uses the same language that he did in verse 12 of chapter 4. The love of God is 
perfected in us, that's chapter 4, verse 12, as in, you know, its intended purpose. It's perfected in us. It restores us. But look at your text this morning right here. Right here, the intended purpose of the love of God is not perfected in us. It has another side to it. It's perfected with us. We've got the internal and we've got the external. We have the ends as well as the means. And that is what God does in his sovereign decrees. He ordains the ends as well as the means. The love of God perfected in us does not just stay within us, but it permeates out into the life of that child of God. And here, John tells us that two chief marks of that love perfected with us lived out is our confident assurance before God and our love for others. Let me pause for a moment right here. Repeat myself about the Bible repeating itself, about the Bible repeating itself again. Beloved, how many times have you heard, love God, love neighbor, be assured, know this, have confidence, a ton. It's all over First John. What do you think that means? You should know and believe that, right? This is the heartbeat of the beloved's life, of the Christian's life. If you claim to love God, but not your neighbor, especially those who are fellow Christians, you need to check yourself, and vice versa. And in addition, if you love both God and your neighbor, yet cower in fear of God, you misunderstand who your father is. You misunderstand the big brother in Christ Jesus that you have. You misunderstand the inheritance you carry in your spiritual pocket, the spirit. You are to approach the Lord in reverence, to be sure, but in bold, confident assurance. Confidence to know that what he has done is perfect and it's perfecting. That what he has said is just the same. It is perfect and perfecting. No word of the Lord will return to him void. And that what you are called to do is truly from him and through him and to him that you have a true purpose from God. In a world that is so full of despair, it is because we're looking into ourselves thinking that that's where the answer is. And we wonder why we have all these sky high rates of like pornography use and suicide and all of this stuff. It's because it's not in us. It's outside of us. It's in the Lord, our God. We have a true purpose. And he tells us what that true purpose is. Love him. Obey his commandments. Love others. Be confident about who you are in the Lord. Not confidence of like, I'm a bold, strong woman. No, confidence in who you are as a child of God. You, believer, hate your sin. You should not wallow in it. Sin is lawlessness, rebellion against God, anti-Christ. It is hate, void of love. But if the child of God knows with confidence that the love of God, God himself, is in the lifetime of the beloved, progressively over time making them more like himself, which they will be when they stand before him in glory on judgment day, that's what he's talking about in this verse, then they know that they boldly know with a smile on their face, knowing with joy that they will be able to stand before him not only then, but right now because of what God is doing in them and with them. You, you love me, Lord. This is the child's song. 
You have loved me, Lord. You loved me first, and you will love me to the very end. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Hail to the Lamb, the loving Lamb who sits upon the throne. Anything good that I have done, anything good within me is from you and through you and to you. Nothing in my hand I bring simply to the cross I cling. That's our song. That's our joy. That's our confidence. That's all that we have. But that is an eternal inheritance. That is a sword that slays the enemy and it never goes dull. Amen? Believer, take a hold of this assurance. Take a hold of this, not because you will have that confidence and glory only. Like, all right, I know that I'm saved by the blood and I can stand before him in confidence and glory. No, you stand before him now. It begins in this life, in the world you live in now. He is love. He is reconciling. He is sacrificial. And so you must be also because that conveys and displays that you are in fellowship with him and he with you. You show what family you belong to. Amen? Fear. Powering. Hatred. Scared. It's not love. It's not godly. It's not reconciliation. That's not fellowship. But pastor, I'm, I'm a theologian. I know Proverbs 1, 7. Oh, okay. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Does that mean that the Bible contradicts itself? Oh, of course not. Because what's the key? Context. Fear of the Lord in the context of Proverbs is obviously different than that of 1 John right here. Fear of the Lord being the beginning of knowledge is what? Reverence. It is reverence, not treating him flippantly. It's respect for him. It's esteeming him as holy as he is. The fear of 1 John is not reverence, but it's, it's cowering. Terror. It's shame. The word John uses here for fear in the original language is phobos, where we get the word phobia. What's a phobia? Does anybody have a phobia in here? Phobia is an intense state of terror or dread concerning something. I have one. You'll see me from time to time, maybe, especially around my kids. It's called papyrophobia. Does anybody know what papyrophobia is? Sophia does. The fear. Oh, goodness, it hate. Oh, it cur I curl my toes. It's the fear of paper cuts. Oh, my goodness. I, I can't, that just kills me. Like, I can't even think about it. I mean, I can go hunting and gut a deer, but fear of paper cuts. And some of the fears that we have are so irrational and funny and silly, but that's the word that John uses, phobos. It's a fear, it's a caring, it's a, ah, oh, no, 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 right? That's how I feel about paper cuts. Oh, go, no, 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 ah. That, that's the word that John uses. It's not talking about reverence. It's not talking about theophobia, fear of God, like that. Think of it like this. The child respects their father, their parent, knowing that he is more powerful than they. But the child, knowing this, simultaneously comes to their father 
joy and confidence because they know they are loved and they love their father because their father gives them life, which the child knows that they cannot produce. That is our status. That is our confidence. That is our joy, beloved. Now, now take that child and put him in a room full of strangers. Strange adults. Will they go to any of those adults with that same confidence as they do their own father or mother? No, because they don't know the character of any of those people. They don't know if they are for their good or for their harm. Church, God, God is holy. He is holy. He is terrifying in the sense that he is transcendent and so far above us. He is a being to be feared because we know that he is perfect and sin cannot stand in his presence. But if that's all that he ever is to us, uh, hold on a minute. We're missing the other side. That is who he will ever be, all he will ever be to those who are not his children, only and forever a consuming fire. That is not all he is to us. We see his holiness. We see his power. We see his glory and his majesty. To us who are his children, may that be you. We never need, we must never leave and lose that understanding. But we need to see that as God's backside almost, passing in front of Moses in the cleft of the rock, because we don't just have the back, we have the whole front beholding his glory, seen in the perfect image of Jesus Christ. We don't have just consuming fire of, ah, we have, whoa, you are holy, Lord, and you call me to be like you. Thank you that you would even call me to do that. Yeah, we're not spoiled brats. We shouldn't act like that. It should be one of unworthiness. May you, dear believer, run to him. Run to him in confidence, but not in flippancy. Yes, when we pray with confidence before the Lord, it is having a restored conversation with God, but God's not your gee, homie, baby, daddy, mama thing. Like, oh, yeah, what's up, Lord? Yeah, you know, just be with No, Lord, Father, hallowed be your name. But still, reverence. May you stand before him in humbleness for what he has done, not in arrogance, not demanding, but confident in who you are before him, child of God. Love the Lord your God, but not only him in confidence, but your neighbor. 19 through 21 of, verse, of chapter 4. We love because he loved us first. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Church, that verse 19 would never stop amazing us. We love only because he has loved us first. What a sacrifice. We love only because he's loved us first. That he would come to a rebellious person like you or like me and turn that enemy into a friend by dying for them. That's the gospel. Would we never forget God's love is this, that he is self-sacrificing. He calls us to do the same. And that any kind of love that we have, his is primary and all of ours are just little reflections of that. May we not cause the awesome wonder of verse 19 to be squandered 
by how we live out that perfecting love towards others. May it not be squandered. We must love one another. It is not an option. We must love one another, not just in word, but also in deed. Jesus did not merely say he loved those whom the Father had given him. He loved them indeed to the very end. Jesus did not merely say he loved those whom the Father had given him. He died for them and gave his perfecting life for them. Church, we must love God in truth, displayed how? In our deeds towards others, just the same. Our good works of love do not give us God's love, but they prove that we have it. Right? Don't just say it. Do it. Does your neighbor need help with their home? Maybe they've got some damage on their home. Maybe they need it fixed up. Are you handy? Yeah, go help them. Help them. Is there a Christian family in your church about to have a baby? <clears throat> Is there a Christian family in your church about to have a baby that already has a bunch of kids? Can you cook dinner for them? Can you offer to come help clean the house up? Can you offer to take the other kids and like do play stuff with them? Can you offer to do that? Can you help someone? Do you know someone that's in between jobs? Are you wealthy or well off? Do you have a business that you can give someone a job at? Then do that. You have the means to do that. You have the perfecting love of God to do that, dear beloved. Love is practical. We want to have all this stupid Hobby Lobby signs and the Ray Dunn font of like, eat, laugh, love, <laughs> dumb stuff like that. Love is practical. It's not just this gushy emotion that comes out for like two weeks for consumerist Valentine's Day where you get the terrible, nasty, little chalk heart things. Right? If you hate somebody, give those to them. Love is not squishy. It's practical. It is self-sacrificing for the good of the other person, but it's not abstract. It's not a word up on a wall like, oh yeah, we, we eat, love, pray here. No, God's love upon the cross was not abstract. Like there he was, and then up in heaven in the sky, there was like this quantum equation with like E's and deltas and MC squareds and all these things. And like, oh, hmm, okay. It was practical. It was applied for his people. Sin brings forth death, and Jesus the sinless died in the place of sinner, the dead, to bring them back to life. Amen. Practical. So why do we make our own love that is just given to us by God impractical? Why do we become like the person in James that's like, oh, we see our brother naked or hungry or needs a job or needs help with the kids, and we just go, be warmed and filled, and we don't help them do that. We don't, in love, sacrifice to help. John, this morning, is pointing in on a reality that's sharp and pointed, to use that word again. He's, he's calling us to realize the practicality of love, true biblical godly love. If we run our mouths about how much we love God and we don't love our neighbor, especially our fellow Christians, we are proving ourselves to be of another family tree. We prove ourselves to be liars. And who is the liar of the beginning? Himself. John, he pulls no punches, and neither can we. He gives us practicality. You say you love God. You put on your Sunday best. You do all this stuff. You post things on Facebook, yada, yada. You love God. 
great, but you don't love your fellow Christian, you're a prude, you're mean, you're hatred, you're a liar. How politically incorrect, Sir John. You're a liar. Even yourself, are, do, you, do you lie in this way? You know, we celebrated the death and resurrection of Jesus for sinners last week on, on Resurrection Sunday. It's something that we need to celebrate every single day, church. But I want you to think back to our Holy Week last week, especially what's become known in the church calendar as Monday, Thursday, right? In an upper room, Jesus and his 12 disciples sat getting ready to eat Passover, which was a celebration that remembered what God had done in bringing his people out of Egypt and that death passed over every house that had the blood of a lamb on the doorpost and the mantle. They, they had completely forgotten in this moment that John the Baptist had looked at Jesus and said, behold the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. They kept thinking Jesus was this revolutionary you know, throw overthrow the government Castro thing, right? And, and he was, in a way, but not militaristically in this. This is how Jesus overthrew and is overthrowing the kingdoms of the world. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the King of Kings, stopped their Passover celebration, took off his, his outer robe, and tied a towel around his waist, and washed his disciples' nasty, dirty, open-toe sandal-wearing, walk-through-mud, animal feces, and garbage-stinking feet because they didn't have roads and sewage systems like we do now. Something that was reserved for the lowest of the low in society. He, he washed them, one, because in this society, they didn't sit up at a table. There was a small table on the ground, with a bunch of pillows, and they all kind of flopped down on them and sat like this, right, and ate like this. Their feet were away from them at the table. Maybe they were kind of closer to you. Yeah, in this society, they did that. They would lay their body away. So their, their feet, it was kind of in other people's faces when you're laying around a table. They can smell them. They're nasty, gross. My kids play outside for five minutes, and I hate smelling their feet when they come inside. Now imagine a bunch of grown men walking through a dirty desert, Right? But secondly, he did this in a practical way. He was teaching them something. Do not forget this. The cool water, scratchy towel, and the would-be nail-pierced hands of Jesus touched the very feet of the man that writes the epistle that we're studying this morning. You want to know why the love of God is like the pinnacle of John's epistle here? Because it changed him practically. He felt with his own senses the love of God touching his own body. He experienced it. He didn't just know Jesus. This man was one of the privileged who God sovereignly chose to have a double portion, as it were, of the love of God that Christ would stoop and wash his own feet. John heard Jesus tell him and all of his friends that what he, Jesus, was doing, they didn't understand yet. They didn't understand what he was doing, but that they would. And guess what? 
This right here is proof that John does and did come to understand it. The proof is 1 John, because this is what Jesus said after washing their feet. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have loved one another. Beloved, you are known by your love. You should be known by your love. They shall know us by our love. If you are known as someone who is hateful or spiteful or untrustworthy or unrighteous or uncaring or cold, then you are so proving yourself to be a disciple of who? Not of Christ. We must know what we know and believe it and live it out. And that's what John closes out our text this morning with, beginning in chapter 5, verse 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. Our right belief of who Jesus is gives way to right living, and that life is a life of love, especially those who are brothers and sisters in Christ. And this lived-out love is shown in this, verse 2 of chapter 5. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey His commandments. Beloved, again, John is repeating himself. That means we should probably perk up our ears and listen. But, but you also need to know this. All right, here, here's a thing that we need to keep in mind here. John's starting to wind down his letter, and so he's recapping a bunch of stuff as he's closing. Our love for God and love for others, that's the singular command that the entire Bible calls us to, not because they earn us the love of God, but they are evidence that we are of God. That Recap, boiling it down. For if we try to use the wisdom of the Bible to earn the love of God or try to use the wisdom of the Scriptures without the love of God in us, they are not good commands. They are heavy burdens. They're heavy because we are missing the love of God, the self-sacrificing, perfect life, death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ, love incarnate. God is love. Hence, verse 3. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. Everything goes hand in hand, church. Love God equals loving his word and his people. Loving his word and his people equal love God. But what does the love of God do in and with the beloved, the child of God? Isn't that the question this morning that we've been unpacking like Russianette dolls? And isn't it supposed to be practical? Indeed, it is. Four and five. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? You who have been born of God, his children, his beloved, God has caused you and is causing you to overcome the world. God has recreated you, grafting you into his tree, giving you true life in his son, the root, as you bear fruit in the spirit. The world, all that is antichrist, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, the boastful pride of life, he has caused you and is causing you to overcome. And how? Through a 12-step program? No. Through giving money? No. Through doing nice things? No. None of those. Through everything we have heard thus far in the letter, primarily how? Through love. Through love. For what is our love directed toward God and others based upon his word, calling us into the light, into righteousness, to hate sin, to be holy, to, to have fellowship with him? What is all that? What is that? All these themes of 1 John that we looked at, what, what is all that? Is that not our entire life, beloved? 
that what it is? It is. And if it's our entire life, then we are placing an immense amount of confidence in the truth of God's testimony. We are living, moving, and having our being in faith. Faith. Our faith. Not faith in general. Our possessive faith. Our faith in all of this gives us victory, makes us victors, overcomers, literally in the Greek, overcomers. And it's a word that you know, Nike. You know, what makes our faith just do it? To live life glorifying God and enjoying Him forever because our faith, what we live our life out based upon is based in the love of God, which has caused us to be born again. Our faith is based in the love of God, which has caused us to be victorious because the victory is not from us, but from Him. Overcoming all that is Antichrist, the world comes only through Jesus Christ. Verse 5. And what's the practicality in all of this? God gives you new life, love, hope, faith. You know, that, that great trinity of virtue in, in 1 Corinthians 13. And when he does this for you, an undeserving sinner, he awakens you to this assurance, this confidence. And he tells you as one of his, un, uh, as one of his unburdensome commands, go tell others about this, everyone. Remember, he ordains the ends as well as the means. You may be the very means of leading someone who is a lost sheep into the fold to have green grass and cool water and to follow the good shepherd. Start with your family, then your friends, then those close to you and your acquaintances and strangers. It's Judea and Jerusalem and Samaria to the ends of the earth. That's localism because localism spreads into globalism, one individual, one family at a time. Beloved, see that Christ is the true victor on your behalf, overcoming sin, becoming sin, the sinless for us sinners. That is love. And he holds you fast, promising not to lose a single one that the Father has given him. That's good faith right there. And that he would delight to call you unto himself and give you himself the Spirit. What hope we have in this life that we should never forsake this. All we have to replicate and reflect in the world which is being restored back unto Eden the same way is not from us, but from God. Close, I want to bolster your confidence with this. In 1 John 5, 4 through 5 this morning, which is a a great cap to all that we've talked about the past two weeks, John uses the word overcome four times. Beloved, in your life, no matter what it may be, through love, the kind of love that we have seen the past two weeks, it will overcome anything. Your faith is not yours. It is a gift. Your faith is one of those gifts inside the bigger gifts, the Russian et dolls of grace and salvation and all these things. You can hope for brighter days. You can even hope for brighter days for others if yours is bright now. Our faith, our hopeful assurance, our love is the victory. None of it is from us, but it's all from him and through him and to him. Do you see how powerful our Lord is? Powerful enough to do all of this by emptying himself to wash feet. Beloved, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and all of your strength, with all faith, hope, 
and love and then do the same for your neighbor. See that victory overcome the ends of the earth because his kingdom come, his will be done on earth in your life, in your community, in your family. And it will. Beloved, may the love of God perfect you and perfect with you. Perfecting love and the indwelling of God in his beloved. Great Russianette doll for us to play with, isn't it? Amen. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Let's pray.